Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, everybody. We got a special treat because that wasn't just Maggie. That was Mary, right? Am I right? Chris was on the corner. It's like Mary talking about herself, which is kind of mind-blowing if you think about that. So thank you, Maggie. We appreciate that. Uh, We're going to be in uh, the book of Matthew chapter 1. We're also going to refer to Isaiah chapter 7 as we continue our Christmas questions series uh, today. See, as Christians, we believe in God's Word and these scriptures that were written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus that point to the validity of the earliest Christian claims, one of them being a virgin birth. And so hundreds of years before Jesus was even born in Bethlehem, we have Matthew chapter 1, quoting Isaiah 7 verse 14 from specifically the Greek Septuagint. It's the Hebrew scriptures translated into Greek, which predicts this virgin birth for the coming Messiah. And so we see that this prophecy and numerous others are reasons to have faith in these essential Christian facts that we're going to talk about today. Now, uh, to forewarn you, yesterday I was with the men. We had this great men's gathering on Saturday mornings, and I brought Matthew chapter 1, and what I told them was that as I prepare each week for these messages, I have like dozens of pages that will never make it up into the sermons. I have all these notes that are on the what we call the cutting room floor, you know, right? And so they actually kind of got the Matthew 1 sermon, and you're getting a little bit more of Isaiah 7 sermon today. So if that upsets you, then you can talk to someone who was at the men's meeting yesterday, and they'll get you all the notes, so for Matthew 1. Uh, But I'll come in a future sermon, I'm sure, uh, as well. But what we're doing is talking during this Advent season. It's all about expecting Jesus. That's why we light candles, not to do some ritual, not just to be part of some liturgy. It's to remind us of our longing For Jesus, not just a person, not just a special prophet, but God himself coming to us to show us the way. And so this Advent, we want to remember that God wants to be the center of our lives. And so Advent reminds us to ask this question. I want everyone to ask themselves this question. What do I long for? What do I really want? If Santa was real and can give me, you know, right now what I want, what would show up? You know, would you be embarrassed of what would show up? If, if Santa was real and gave you exactly what you wanted, maybe it's something serious, a restored relationship, or maybe even the way you view yourself, uh, your life. Uh, maybe you want hope. What do you want? May we never forget what we light candles. It's for God to shine a light in us to reveal what do you want? And are you willing to risk to ask God to give you his best this Advent season? I hope you will risk that with us to ask God, to be bold, to say, God, I want to know you. I want to I I live life to the fullest and uh, give me the faith to believe that you, Jesus, are the way to live life to the fullest. What do I long for is the question. So I think God wants us to recognize this longing in our hearts for love that will always last, for a hope that will never run out. So this love and this hope is found in Jesus, and that's why we celebrate this Advent this Jesus who, who some writers called God himself wrapped in our skin. What a great picture, right? God himself coming to us as a baby, vulnerable, humble, poor. Why for you? That you might know him. God wrapped in our skin. This baby Jesus 
conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. So we light these Advent candles to remind us of our longing for Jesus. What do you want? What do you long for? God reminds us it is Him that we need. So we light these Advent candles to remind us, too, that nothing else will satisfy our longing for Jesus. It doesn't matter what electronics is on your Santa list. It uh, doesn't matter uh, what, uh, what dream you have for the new clothes or even for your San Francisco 49ers to make it to the Super Bowl next year. It doesn't matter whatever that thing you think will make you finally happy. Advent reminds us it's only going to be in Jesus. So what do you believe about this Jesus? Do you have doubts about Jesus? That's what we're going to talk about today. We want to welcome you in the midst of your doubts because we believe here that there's nothing else that can satisfy except Jesus Christ and you having a direct and intimate relationship with him. So we invite you to bring your doubts, bring your struggles. These Christmas questions is what we're going to wrestle with. Because we want you to know that this Jesus named Emmanuel that Matthew talks about, Emmanuel, which he lets you know means God with us, that he wants you to know him and that you might have some questions. And so we want you to know you're welcome here with your questions. Because is even knowing the one true God even possible, you might ask? Is this Bible reliable, you might think? You have a lot of friends who think you're crazy for coming to church or crazy for reading the Bible. We want your faith to increase by the time you leave today, that you might say that this God is, is real, that you might believe that his word is true and reliable, that we want that for your Advent season, that you would have this growing faith in Jesus who is real. And I believe that God is patiently waiting for us as well, that he's not angry at us, he's smiling upon us today. I want you to see a smiling Jesus because he promises in God's word where two or three are gathered in his name or where, or, or where a couple hundred are gathered in his name. He says, there I am, Jesus says, amongst you. He gives this picture of walking amongst us, of being with us. And he, I want you to even imagine him. I don't know if he's doing this exactly, but he's here. But imagine him coming up alongside you right now. And he knows what you long for. He knows your doubts. He knows your struggles. And he's smiling upon you. He showed up that you want to increase in faith, even with doubt, that you want to get to know him in this Advent season. You know these other things won't satisfy. You want to know him and to know him better in your life, to love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength as Jesus tells us to do. I hope your mind does increase, right, in love for God. I want your heart to increase in love for God, your soul and your strength as well. God is patiently waiting for us. I know some of you might be here today saying, Tim, what if I still have doubts about the Bible? What if I can't believe in this virgin birth? What if I think the whole three wise men thing is just something that we made up? What about the star of Bethlehem? What if it's the Bible? I I just can't trust it. We just want to say you're welcome here. Bring your questions. We're going to pray that God would somehow convince you over the long haul that it's true, that he's real, that he really does love you, can trust in his word that he came for you? What if I'm not sure about all my questions about Christmas? That's okay. We welcome you here. I hope there'll be a little bit that God will show you, maybe even a lot, as you walk out today having more faith that this faith that we talk about is real. So we're going to take a look at God's Word today for a little bit. Now, first of all, I want to give you a little bit of context, because earlier this year, the Guardian newspaper reported an incredible story of a modern Virgin Mary. Yes, you're hearing me right. A modern Virgin Mary, not a young woman, but a two-year-old fish named Mary. Why was she named Mary? Well, this fish was found carrying 52 viable embryos. Now, for the non-marine biologists in the room, 
I'm not one of them. Fish don't usually carry their babies in them. They lay their eggs in a nest, and then the male comes and fertilizes them, and then the eggs hatch. That's how it works. But not Mary, not the Virgin Mary, the guardian said. It was coming to full term with 52 viable embryos. And so the Guardian newspaper was making this claim that Mary's eggs were fertilized without a male, a modern miracle. And then they gave some scientific reasons. I'll let you read the article. And they did in kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of way to kind of poke fun at Bible-believing Christians like me of, of like, oh, here's another, you know, Virgin Mary, right? That's what happens today, right? The the things that maybe we believe, we say the Bible is true, Jesus really was divine, he really was fully human, the mystery of the Trinity, all these things make some of our friends, maybe some of you today, to say, I don't know if I want to, I like your Jesus, but all this fairy tale stuff about him, I just can't handle, okay? Now, several years ago, if you were around in that time, there was a magazine called Newsweek, a magazine called Time, and on the front cover was the story of Jesus and the virgin birth. And both magazines were claiming that the virgin birth prophecy that Matthew quotes from Isaiah 7:14 that they were saying it was never intended to imply a virgin birth. That the writers of Isaiah 7 were intending to really imply just a young woman and that the Hebrew word used in the Old Testament scriptures for virgin, which says Alma, really just means young woman, and that if the writers of Isaiah meant it to be a virgin, which they say Matthew misunderstood, then they would have used a different Hebrew word, which was Batula, if they wanted to make it clear that it was supposed to be a virgin. Now, I need to let you know, other scholars disagree with that and say, no, the word Alma really does mean virgin, and the traditional interpretation is is correct. And then some other scholars say, well, either way, back in ancient times in a really, really conservative context in the the ancient uh, Near East, a young woman would be expected to be a virgin, (laughs) because that was the culture. So, and some people say this is kind of a moot point anyway. Now, so here's I want to make a couple comments. Even if Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 was intended to only mean a young woman and not a virgin, it still doesn't mean that Matthew and the Christians made up the story of Jesus' miraculous conception and the virgin birth. In fact, I think it could mean exactly the opposite So if Isaiah 7.14 doesn't mean virgin, literally, then I actually think you could argue it would strengthen the case for the evidence that Jesus really was born of a virgin historically. So let me explain a little bit more. So if you're a New Testament writer, and they're looking back at the Old Testament in that time, because Jesus, who they discovered as their Messiah, has died and has risen again, now they're looking back to the Old Testament, their, their Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, looking for scriptures that might point to the things they experienced Jesus doing and things that happened to him. Now, for example, Jesus' followers weren't probably expecting that Jesus would die a humiliating death. Okay, that's very clear. Almost all scholars concur on that, no matter what side they're on. That, in other words, no one was expecting a suffering king, a king who would be defeated by the most humiliating death on the cross. And so what we see is that once Jesus did die this humiliating death, which they were surprised about, 
they had to go back to their Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, and see, did, was this predicted anywhere? Because we're totally surprised by this. And they found scriptures like Isaiah 53. They found scriptures like Psalm 22, predicting that, yes, there would be one to come who would suffer. And they realized, oh. So Christians weren't making up facts that Jesus suffered and died on the cross. The fact that he did die in this manner led them to search the Old Testament scriptures to look for prophecies that predicted this. And so Christians like Matthew, for example, probably didn't even realize until after Jesus' death and resurrection that Jesus was even fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, okay? Instead, Christians, what they were doing at the time of Jesus and after he died and rose again, what they were doing, they were taking facts about Jesus, the Messiah, his birth in Bethlehem, him being raised in Nazareth, the Roman crucifixion, the virgin birth, etc., etc., and they're looking for Old Testament prophecies that might hint at those realities, and so what critics are arguing that Matthew mistakenly translated Isaiah 7, 14 to mean virgin, but really when you think about it, if most people, most of the Jews were, were meaning it to understand virgin, or if they weren't thinking it, that it meant virgin, then it wouldn't make sense that Matthew would make it up. In other words, it wasn't like this super common knowledge that everyone was looking for a Messiah born of a virgin. Why would you make it up unless it just happened? Then they had to look back to Scripture to see if anything pointed it to it. And so Isaiah 7.14 didn't mean that it had to be something that was predicted for hundreds of years that Jesus, the Christ, would be born of a virgin. A Christian is looking back saying, this is what happened. And maybe Isaiah 7.14 means that because it really happened. And so... If you think about this, a Christian in the first century, it's not helping your cause if you make following Jesus harder. <laughs> that they're trying to follow a, a Messiah who died and suffered. Well, they didn't expect that. That a Messiah that was born of a virgin, they may not have expected that. Why would you make it harder by adding legends that made it difficult for people to follow Jesus? What makes more sense is that it really happened. And then they had to find different Old Testament prophecies that predicted it. Why would Matthew include details like a suffering Messiah, a death on a cross, a virgin birth, if none of those details would improve their chances of helping people believe and follow Jesus? Why would he do it? Simply because it's true. That makes the most sense, I would argue. Christians that claim that Jesus was born of a virgin, they claimed it not because they misinterpreted Isaiah 7, but because it was historical fact. It's just what they knew to be true. So even if you believe that Isaiah 7.14 was written with a virgin birth in mind, that means then you can have confidence that it was fulfilled hundreds of years later in Jesus Christ because the early Christians wouldn't have reason to make up a fact that would be harder for people to believe. So no matter how we look at Isaiah 7, which I still think does mean virgin, I think it points that the Christians are being faithful just to tell the truth. Why would Christians make up information that made it less likely for people to believe that Jesus was Messiah, is the point. It makes more sense that they were telling the truth. Mary was a virgin. She gave birth to Jesus. That this Advent story, it's historical, and it points to the true meaning of Christmas, which is this, that God miraculously entered into our broken world. See, for us at Advent, we're reminding ourselves of the most important season is this story of Jesus coming, that he's coming again. 
And it's because of, of Easter that he rose from the grave, which is more truth that we can have this hope in him. And so these four weeks before Christmas gets us a chance to focus on Jesus coming to earth. And so we purposely think, as I asked you earlier, what are the longings in our hearts? Do you have any faith barriers to believing in Jesus? Is, is this stuff like these articles and people making fun of, uh, of things that we believe, is it make it harder for you to follow Jesus? Because it's just hard to hold on to, the, to belief that the, a miraculous God can still enter into our life today. We want your faith to increase as you long for things in your life. We want you to remember during Advent that as Americans around us and us ourselves included, as we spend $1 trillion over the holiday season, yes, that's trillion with the T, for trying to fill our souls with things that will make us happy, that we remember it's only fulfilled by Jesus. And the story is not a fairy tale. It's not made up. These are real things that happen. In the, in the middle of this Advent season, we have things like Black Friday and Cyber Monday and who makes up all these days anyway, right? And those are the days that are even more known than Advent, right? We know more about shopping days than we know about Jesus. And everyone around us is frantically uh, around, uh, running around shopping store to store, buying things they don't need with, with money they don't have and for people they don't even like. Oh my goodness, that's Christmas in America, and you see what happens if we get to pause and we come to God's word. We want your faith to rise today that this story is true, that there's still a miraculous God entering into your life who wants to know you and meet your deepest longings. That's what the story is about. And we as Christians in the midst of all the craziness around us, we get to be the first to realize our deepest longings, and we know it's for something we cannot buy. And that maybe people who, who see our lives in this season would know that this Jesus story is true. That's why the Holy Spirit miraculously made Mary pregnant, that our good father saw our need. He saw our need from the very beginning, from the very beginning of Genesis, when the first humans turned their back on God. God says, I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to provide an answer, a solution. And then thousands of years later, many, many years later, God reveals himself by sending his eternal son the form of a baby, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He came looking for us. He entered our story. And this is the Advent story we remember. In the midst of the doubts, in the midst of the questions, in the midst of the longings, misdirected longings, right? Buying things to, to try to make us happy or trying to make other people happy, that we get the chance to rest and to sit with the reality of Jesus Christ with us. Now, I need to let you know, Americans, the majority of them, still believe in a virgin birth, but every year it gets less and less. That means for those of us in this room who think the Bible is true, we're becoming less and less popular, right? Every year it's a little bit more like we're all crazy people who believe these crazy stories, these miracle stories from the Bible. So every year it gets less and less of Americans who believe in the virgin birth. And even uh, the famous uh, TV interviewer, his name is Larry King, he was asked if he can interview anybody. Now, he's interviewed thousands of people. If he can interview anyone that's ever existed, who would it be? You know what he said? He said, Jesus. But then he said something very interesting because he said this. He said, it would be Jesus because I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. That really surprised me that it was that important for him. Of all the people he can interview was Jesus. And of all the questions he could ask, it would be, was he virgin born? I think what he's getting at, he wants to know, is the story true? 
Is he really the only way? Is he really the son of God? Is he, is he really someone who came to forgive sins? I even need sins forgiven? You can see underneath the question, the other questions. If I can interview anyone, it'd be Jesus Christ. And I want to know if he's truly virgin born. And then he says this, the answer to that question would define history for me. Wow. So let me ask you, how important is it to believe in the virgin birth? Well, I want to remind you of a, another important story from Luke 23. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Luke reports are two thieves on each side. One thief mocks Jesus. The other thief says this to Jesus. I don't know if this is the first time this thief has met Jesus or not. But on the cross, this thief says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, oh, do you believe I'm born of the Virgin Mary, though? No, he didn't. You know what he said? Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I just want us to have that in context when we think about how important this question is, because it's true. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He was. But I want us to remember that any one of you with your doubts and your questions, I don't want you to have a Larry King excuse to get closer to Jesus. Well, until I'm convinced really, that he was really born of a virgin. I just can't get closer to Jesus. I want to let you know, you can bring all kinds of doubts. I think the best way to get over your doubts is to get to know Jesus. Say yes to him. Invite him into your life. He'll work out the doubts. We'll work out the details later. He is Lord. He is Savior. He has come to forgive you. Yes. And in time, the Lord will work out the other details. So does believing in the virgin birth matter? I say absolutely, yes, it does. But I don't think it might be one of the questions God's asked you when you see him face to face before he lets you into heaven, right? It's like on some kind of quiz. In fact, maybe you heard this story. It's about a man who dies and he goes to heaven and St. Peter meets him at the pearly of the gates. This is not in the Bible, by the way, in case you're wondering. Okay, So St. Peter says to this man, I want you to tell me all the good things you've done. And I'll give you a certain number of points for each item, depending on how good it was, okay? When you reach 100 points, you get in. The man said, okay, well, I attended church every Sunday. That's pretty good, right? St. Peter says, well, that's great. That's worth two points. The man says, only two points. Come on. Well, I gave 10% of my earnings. I gave 10% of my earnings to the church. Peter says, well, that's worth another two points. The man's like, oh, okay, this is going to be hard. Um, and Peter says, did you do anything else? The man says, well, yes, what about this? What about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city. Peter says, great job. You get another two points. And the man says, okay, one more thing, one more thing. I was married to the same woman for 50 years and was always faithful. St. Peter says, that's wonderful. That's worth three points. The man's getting desperate. He's like, only three points? Are you kidding me? At that rate, the only way I'll ever get into heaven is by the grace of God. And Peter says, you're right. Welcome in. <laughs> it's always the grace of God. It's never a quiz. Jesus says, he points to the fact, did I know you? That's the entrance exam. He wants to know you. I am saying all these beliefs about Jesus are very, very important, but I don't want anyone here to have an excuse to not get closer to Jesus. Well, I need to know, if, I need to know all, the, all the answers to all my theology questions before I can come to know Jesus. No, you don't. You can say, Jesus, I'm not sure about everything about you, but I know I need you. I need you as my Lord. 
I need you to lead my life. I need you to forgive me. I'm lost without you. And enter on this journey of getting to know Jesus better. When you see God face to face, and we each see him face to face, I don't think he'll be asking about if you went to church every Sunday or tithe 10% or about any of your good works, which are all good things. But if you know Jesus, I think it'll be really more about knowing him as your Lord and Savior and as your friend, because it's only by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his gift of grace that any one of us will enter into the kingdom. It's by putting our faith in Christ and his finished work and not faith in your own work. That faith itself is a gift. I love how evangelist Craig Blomberg, he says this. He says, what? He says for those who still have doubts, for those who still have questions, he says, you don't need to have all of your questions answered to come to faith in Christ. You do need to say something like this, that the weight of the evidence seems to show that this is true. That, so even though I don't have all the answers to all of my questions, I'm going to believe and hope for answers in the long run as I follow Jesus. And that's my prayer for you. I don't want anyone to leave this place with this barrier that, that until I get all my life together, until I start tithing 10%, until I, start, until I create that soup kitchen, I'm not good enough, I'm not religious enough to follow Jesus. That's not true at all. You say yes to him. You say yes in the middle of your doubts. And you come and, and, you, and you join us and you let us pray for you. And you get closer to this Jesus who looks upon you with love right now. So no, I don't even think that the the virgin birth will be on some kind of heavenly entrance exam. But I want you to hear this. But once you do come to faith in Jesus, I would challenge you, why wouldn't you believe in the virgin birth? Why wouldn't you believe in all the miracles? Why wouldn't you believe that the angel really came to Joseph and told him this? Why wouldn't you? If you believe in a miraculous God, why not? Why not believe what Christians have for centuries, for millennia believed about Jesus, that he was born of a virgin? Why is it so hard to believe in a miraculous God who can make a virgin pregnant? Why would we trust the skeptic's claims, even when their arguments maybe even aren't that convincing? Why wouldn't we join in what we call the Apostles' Creed and the earliest Christians who said with confidence about Jesus that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? So let me say this. No, you don't have to believe in the virgin birth to follow Jesus and become a Christian. But you should believe in the virgin birth after you become a Christian. You should have a growing understanding of God's truth, a growing understanding of God's word. But don't give yourself an excuse to not follow Jesus because you don't have everything perfectly aligned in your life. Follow him. Say yes to him. Join us on this journey. I just believe there's someone in this room who just needs to hear the, the tender heart of the Father. I was with the, the men yesterday, as I mentioned, and doing this wonderful Bible study. And while I was teaching my prepared things on Matthew 1, I really believe the Holy Spirit like, spoke to me. It gave me a little nudge of a word. He gave me a word that I shared with the men. I said, I, said, I see in you, in this group of men, I see tenderheartedness, is what I said. I said, I see in this room the Lord using you to be tender-hearted towards each other. Now, tender-hearted is not a word you use with a lot of men, basically. You don't go to a men's group the first time you use the word tender-hearted, unless the Spirit tells you to do it. But as I said the word, I could see the nodding the men were doing, that they had experienced the tender heart of the Father as they spent time in God's Word, 
and with each other and blessing and serving one another. And so I want to just leave you with that word. There's someone here who needs the tender heartedness of the Father and to believe that this tender hearted Father sent his Son as a vulnerable baby conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, doing a miracle that you might know his love because he knows that in this season that everyone's running around looking for love, trying to fill their souls with things that will never fill them. And there is a tender-hearted father this season who wants you to know that you are known and not forgotten and that your loneliness will not last forever and that your emptiness does not have to go on for ages and that the broken, fractured relationships in your life can be healed and that the doubts that you have don't have to keep you far from God. But there's a tender-hearted father today saying, welcome home. Come in my embrace with all of your doubts, all of your uncertainties, with all of your questions. Come and hear the voice of Jesus. When you call out to him today, Jesus, don't forget about me. When you enter into your kingdom, he says, you can be with me in paradise. Believe Jesus at his word. He is near to you. Those candles aren't just religious. It's to remind you that his love and his hope and his offer of salvation is ready right now. Even if you're doubting, even if you're depressed, even if your finances are upside down, even if your relationships are just out of whack, Jesus is near. The Father's tenderness wants to extend to you. Will you pray with me? God, we don't know everything you want us to know, but would you convince us, Lord, that you are near, that your name, Emmanuel, is a real name? It's not a made-up name. It's really who you are, that you are God himself wrapped in our skin. You, you were conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. But Lord, even in the midst of doubt, would you help us experience your tenderness right now as we sing these songs, as we come forward for prayer? Lord, would you convince us that your love is near? I pray for all the brokenhearted in this room, broken in their mind because there's so many doubts, doubts about the Bible, doubts about their faith, doubts about themselves. Lord, that your love would touch them today. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would fill people today who, who, who need a sense of your joy. Lord, would you bring joy? Would you bring hope as we sing these words, Lord? Show us, Lord, that you're real. Touch us, Lord. Show us your tender-heartedness, not just by us believing a story, but us experiencing something right now even. Would you reveal your tender-heartedness, Lord, right now? We pray this in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.